0: Welcome to the Craft to Career Podcast with Elizabeth Chapel, where every week we dive into how you can turn your craft into a successful career. Get ready to have the career you've always dreamed of. Welcome to episode 18 of the Craft to Career Podcast. I am Elizabeth Chapel, the host of the podcast, and I'm really excited about this week's guest, We have Megan Buchanan of Then Came June, and Megan is hands down one of the most influential, successful modern quilt pattern designers that's out there right now. And I'm just so excited that she was willing to spend the time to share her story of how how she got started. And that leads me to this week's review. It's a short and sweet review, and it's from Sarah E123, exclamation mark. She says, love listening. I am not even in the quilting biz right now. So interesting and inspiring hearing everyone's story of how they started. Sarah, thank you. And I love that you're not even in the quilting business and that you enjoy the podcast. So that is extra cool. And with that, let's jump in and let me introduce you to Megan of Then Came June. Megan, I'm super excited to have you here. And first of all, for those who don't know you, you are Megan of Then Came June. Yes. And I know, like I followed you for a while, and I assumed your name was June. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's Megan. So, can no. just starting off with, will you share the name of your company and how that came about?
1: Yeah. So I, when I was kind of trying to formulate a business name, when I first started quilting and I kind of got into a part where I wanted to just cover my costs, I was like, well, I should have some kind of name associated with it if people are paying me something. And I didn't want it to be just my name, like Megan Buchanan Designs or something. And I wanted it to be a name that wasn't too literal or didn't have meaning, but not something where you know, like people who get tattoos and then someone's like, "Hey, what's that tattoo?" And they're like, "I'm not telling you." Mm-hmm, yeah. But for me, I'm like, I want to feel confident in saying what the meaning is behind it, um, and not have to it be attached solely to my name in case you know the avenues changed or what I did changed or whatever. So then came June came about because um, I got into quilting because I suffered from postpartum depression, um, when I had my son who just turned seven last month. And I was just in a season of life where nothing I was doing felt satisfying. I didn't, I thought motherhood was going to be this like amazing purpose filling experience. And it was just not for me. And my friend suggested like, Hey, you need to do something for yourself. You've always been creative. Like, I just, she had made a quilt from a tutorial online and she was like, why don't you just go to Joanne's, go buy fabric. You have a sewing machine. I had like, you know, a hundred dollars Singer or whatever from Target, like just a really great entry-level straight stitch machine. And so that's how I found quilting is I made my first quilt, fell in love with it. And so when I was kind of coming up with the, the meaning behind it, it's my son was born in June and so, like everything in my world, good and bad, changed in the month of June. So that's kind of how I came with. Then came June.
0: So that's okay. This is a super interesting topic. And for the men in the audience, I do have a few men, but however, most are women. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a topic we don't talk about a whole ton. That motherhood, and not everyone's a mom. However, I did get this sense that when you're a mother, it's just so fulfilling, and you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, like. I also started my business when my kids were young because, and I felt this guilt about like, why do I not feel like this is enough for me? You know, Mm -hmm. I still have this bug that I want to do something for me. And now that I'm through it, I feel like it's
1: really important for moms to have something that's their own. Yeah. Yeah. And regardless if you turn it into a career or not, it was just in that season of life, I had come off of my husband and I got married young, like, 21, 22, um, kind of dove into being adults and having to get jobs just to pay the bills. It was at the height of the recession. Um, and so like the first few years of marriage were just hard and it was a big struggle financially. And we had just come off of this, like tried this experience of working for the small family business, moved ourselves to a different state. It was not at all what we were expecting it to be. I hated life like really bad and um, came back and I had left a job that I kind of struggled with throughout it, like in this professional environment. It was a pretty conservative like accounting style firm where I am very bubbly and personable and joke and I just couldn't grasp. The nature of the job, and so I was like always getting bad reviews <laughs> at work, oh, wow. and I felt like you know when I left, I left on good terms because I really had like learned, I had found a voice in the job, and um, so they had told me when I left that job, they're like, hey, if you guys ever come back to Portland, doesn't work out, let us know, we'd hire you back. Well, nine months later, when we came back, they didn't hire me back. They said they didn't want me. They didn't think it'd be a good fit, and so before I got pregnant, I was just like, immediately felt like I'm a failure. I'm not a hard worker. People don't want me. What do I even have to give? And so I almost viewed motherhood as like, well, is this what I meant to do? Is this why? Like, is this the thing that I'm, I'm not good for working in a, you know, a corporate environment, or I don't have anything to give because I'm not professional. And so then when I got pregnant and um, had my son, I hoped and prayed that I would have this euphoric experience of like this is what I'm called to do and for those first few months it was okay like I still was pumped full of hormones you know from just having had a baby um, but it was around month four where it's like <laughs> you're still never sleeping constantly attached to this little human and your days just don't even feel like days it's just like one never-ending diaper feed clean diaper feed clean like at the end of the day my husband could come home from work and the house could look exactly the same as it did that morning yet i i did stuff all day you just had nothing to prove and so that just felt like i had to do something for myself because nothing i felt like i was also failing at motherhood and so i was just at my lowest low of all confidence as well which i think played into desperately needing something to be like i'm at least good at something <laughs> and none of my friends suffered from postpartum depression so i felt even more isolated because they would notice that how i'm feeling was not their experience and not that it was bad but they're like i think you are really struggling and i'm like yeah yeah whatever you know um but i you know i got into counseling and was diagnosed with postpartum and just even just being validated just felt so I'm like okay I'm not in my head like this experience is very difficult for me it's not always like this for other moms and so that just really helped me kind of recognize like I wasn't alone um and then being able to find quilting was like a godsend it was just the only thing at the time, that brought me back to what I liked doing, which was being creative. I went to college for merchandising um, with my emphasis in interior. So I, did, I took color theory classes. I took, like, you know, textile classes where you would burn all different kind of fibers and figure out how they burn differently. I took architecture classes, um, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of randomly fell into a world that made sense to me that I never, like, no one I knew quilted growing up.
0: So, okay. That's so interesting. Like you knew that you had this desire for creativity, art, color, fabrics, but quilting was an unknown. And what was that first job that you had? What did you say it was like
1: a bank or something? Yeah. So the first job, so this is another kind of wild experience. So I got a four-year degree my husband did not because what he wanted to do from like the get go was work in the live event industry in lighting, sound, projection which you don't need a degree for, you need experience for. And so I'm like, okay, well, I obviously have a degree. I'll get the job that has the healthcare and then when we move up to Portland, you know, we're in the city, you're going to easily find so many different jobs. And so I had lined up a more corporate style job with Wells Fargo right at like we, you know, rented an apartment, I had my offer letter for like the deposit, blah, blah, blah. A week before our honeymoon, I got called saying that entire division was closing. And so on the honeymoon, I was interviewing within Wells Fargo, because luckily, at the time, they absorbed as many people as they could. So instead of having like a more corporate, like I just became a bank teller. So my first job outside of college was just being an hourly teller at the bank, um, but it did provide health care mm-hmm. um, for our family. And I lasted at that job for, I want to say, 10 months and then up and quit one day. I just like couldn't do it anymore. That's yeah.
0: Well, especially for us <laughs>
1: creatives, like, yeah, a little bit soul crushing, you know, <laughs> yeah talk like that. And I mean, it kind of is foreshadowing like the corporate culture of what I did not like, I'd have to be like, welcome to Wells Fargo today, Elizabeth, how can I help you? Oh, have you looked at opening a credit card? Like all these things where you have to say these things and you're like, open an account, not saying this is you, but I'm like, you're negative $500. Like, why would I offer you a credit card? You know, but it's like, I would get in trouble by not doing these things. Yeah. It's kind of foreshadowing. I'm like, I don't know why I continued in this corporate venture. But it was the only thing that made sense at the time, because a lot of the creative jobs I was interested in just weren't hiring. Like my ideal job when I graduated was I wanted to be a visual merchandiser, Um, like working on magazine shoots and catalog shoots, stuff like that. And I kind of found my way a little bit back to that, not in that avenue, but later. Yeah, I had my son, I was able to work at Crate and Barrel for a while. And that's kind of what got my foot back into the door to the idea of textiles and working in them and enjoying the design aspect of like creating a space. So,
0: yeah. so when, okay. How did it, how did then came June morph from you making your first quilt to like selling your first pattern? How did that journey happen?
1: Yeah. Okay. So when did I have my kid? 2014. <laughs> okay. so <laughs> I started my first quill project in December of 2014. And I think I finished it in like March of 2015 or something. And um, then at that point, I was just in that wave of where all my friends were also having babies or their first baby. And so because I had made one and like, you know, making something personable, personalized to a baby was a huge deal especially for people's first and so I was like I'll make you a baby quilt you know and so it kind of started with me first making all these baby quilts for friends and sort of customizing to like okay do you want it to be like super gender specific like if you're a boy what do you want it to look like in colors and then I just used a lot of like um super basic patchwork style quilts um I used quite a few of cluck cluck sews patterns um I think I used a few of Susie quilts patterns at the beginning and started doing that. And then it kind of got to the point where I had so many orders and I was by no means paying myself. All I was paying for was my costs, which felt great at the time because we had no disposable income. I wasn't working, but then I realized like, I am stressed. I have a toddler now on my hands and, um, I think at one point I had like eight custom baby quilts needing to be made in like three weeks. And I was still quilting it all myself. And there was this this one project that I'm still, I'm like forever grateful I got to do, but it was the heaviest project I have ever worked on. And it's memory quilts for, um, it was, I lived in Texas for a small amount of time between fourth and eighth grade. And a girl I knew back then, her older sister lost her husband who was like, 32 or something suddenly and they had two little girls who were like 18 months and a couple months old and she shipped me like all of his clothes and I cut all his clothes apart and I made his little baby girls quilts I made her his mother a quilt and I ended up making her one since I had so much fabric and like I was just crying I cried every single time I was working on this quilt like having my kid and then imagining my husband dying or imagining someone having to make me a quilt if my son died when I was older. And it just kind of like, (laughs) someone was like, you need to take a break. Because (laughs) I would get super overwhelmed and really crabby and mad. And I would just cry. And he's like, this is like not healthy. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I am still so grateful. And I have photos of the little girls on the quilts and like, you know, the project is so meaningful, but at that point where I was with how much I had taken on and then to take on a a quilt that I could not separate myself from Mm -hmm. was just like the nail in the coffin for custom quilts. I was like, okay, so how do I keep, like keep quilting and be in this industry and make money? By no means was I like, I want to make a career, I just wanted to make a little bit more money that was not as involved with also dealing with others' aesthetics. Like, I really wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so after talking to just, like, a few people and kind of looking at it, and, like, you know, I had come up with a few of my own quilts, just, like, simple star quilts, you know? But, like, I put my own spin on it. Um, I realized, like, the only way at that time, or even now, I would say, for as long as I've been in this industry, quilt patterns are your most... You're going to get the most passive income ever from selling, designing and selling quilt patterns. And so that's kind of how just my motivation was, was like, oh my gosh, this is giving me so much personally. I have something to do for myself. Um, I don't want to give it up, but how do I do it where I'm now taking more control over what I'm making, how I'm making it. And so that's kind of how the idea went from custom to then designing, and selling my first pattern. Um, and then at that point it was like, okay, I could do all the chicken scratch and I could on graph paper, I would kind of graph out what I was making, but I Mm -hmm. didn't know how to put it on the computer. I didn't know how to digitally do it. Like in college, I took a couple AutoCAD classes and a little bit of illustrator, but I mean, this is now six years later and haven't been in any of those programs. Um, and so at this point I had been testing quilts for Emily Dennis of Quilty Love Mm -hmm. and her and I just got, we kind of hit it off and, um, you know, exchanged phone numbers like years ago, texting, just kind of sharing about life. She had already had a few kids, so she had a lot of insight on my crazy toddler phase and, um, She was like, do you want me to FaceTime you? And I'll just show you some of the basics in Illustrator since you already have Illustrator. Like, here's how you make a shape. Here's how you group things together. Here's how you fill in color. Here's how you know how to transform a size. Like if you want it to be four inches or five inches. And so she just straight up got on FaceTime with me and helped me figure out the basics. Um, And that's kind of how it started was her being willing to give me like just the most basic information. And then I kind of just went to town.
0: So first of all, Emily is so sweet and I absolutely love her. And I mean, I mean, from the little bit that I know her, I sound like we're best friends for life, (laughs) but everyone loves her. So that's just so sweet. And it speaks volumes. I love that she was not threatened by sharing that information with someone. And she's like, let me just help you. And I, I love that. I love that attitude. Um, so then my question is, do you only use Illustrator? Do you use EQA?
1: Like, how do you design your patterns? Yeah. So when I first started, back when you could actually buy a license to have the Adobe Suite. So <laughs> the Illustrator I'm working on <laughs> 2012. I am in <laughs> not paying that monthly thing. I am not paying anything for it, but it's to the point where like if somebody else sends me a file or like I'm working with a company, I'm like, you gotta dumb it down as low as you possibly can because if I open it in mine, it's gibberish, yeah, so we're kind of getting to the point where I'm thinking I might actually pay an upgrade, but I'm anti learning new things specifically with the computer, mm-hmm. um. But what's really funny about this Illustrator, if anyone has worked in Illustrator, you're all going to freaking cringe. I did not realize you could have artboards. <laughs> so <laughs> I would export every single page as its own file. And then I would go into PDF, like Adobe Reader, and I would insert page and merge them. So my first, like, Elizabeth, my first like eight patterns are still like that. I've never <laughs> reconverted them. So I'm like, dear God, I don't want to lose these files because, I mean, thankfully I have the printed pattern. I have so many emails that it would just be regurgitating all of it, but it would take forever. Mm-hmm. Um, But yes, yeah, so I still only work in Illustrator. I work in Photoshop a little bit when I'm trying to knock out backgrounds for like cover photos, but I mm-hmm. don't, honestly, I don't think I have, the one thing that, that wasn't part of our license that we bought was... Um, InDesign, design, which oh, yeah. I know would be a big help, but yeah, so all of my text, all everything is built in Illustrator. We mm-hmm. know how to use artboards now,
0: yeah. And
1: um, I've never used EQ eight. So after I'd written my first couple patterns and <laughs> did it my very non correct way, I looked at buying EQ eight, but for some reason, it's like I, I still knew Illustrator. I didn't. I didn't need something to kind of like. You know, like I'm not super knowledgeable about EQ8, but I feel like you can kind of come up with an idea and then you're like, turn it 90 degrees and everything shifts. So Mm -hmm. for me, I'm just like, usually when I'm messing around, I have a very specific ID in my head and I feel like it would actually overwhelm me to have so many options in EQ8. Um, So I just, and I'm like, I'm really controlling. So I kind of feel like I like having the control as much as it kills me at times to have to like literally do everything but it's also all I've done now so it's kind of my yeah and it's I mean like I started off with only EQ8
0: and now the more that I use illustrator I'm almost only illustrator so but I, it's an yeah. interesting I like to hear different designers and like so how do you what do you use what do right you? well what was your first pattern that you released and what was your first pattern And maybe the same one when you realized, whoa, this is bigger than I
1: thought. Like, this is, this can be a career, you know? Okay. So first, well, kind of funny story. First pattern I ever designed was Fairy Crossing, which ended up actually being the second one I released. Mm -hmm. Because I made that one. I was excited about it. But then I had, for fun, made an Inside Out star quilt and had been posting about it. And every, like, I got so much positive feedback. At the time and I was like oh shoot maybe this should be my first one since it's like pretty easy I can write it pretty quickly it's one size I give a couple different options I actually give flannel so I guess in a way it's not the most simple first pattern but it goes to show like I rarely design a pattern that does not have multiple like options and sizes and because I get I want to give you every single idea that I've popped into my head mm-hmm. um, So technically Inside Out Star was my first release, but Fairy Crossing, which was my second release, was designed first. I just kind of kicked it back like a month. Um, But for the first one that really felt like probably was Sienna Burst, which was my seventh pattern, and or my Sidewalk Chalk City Grid release, which was back when I was still doing double pattern releases, which I stopped doing few years ago now. And I what's a pattern release? Like Like we released two patterns on the same day. Oh that was very much a thing when I first started was like double release. So instead of, you know, for easy numbers, if it's ten dollars, so instead of ten dollars you can get both patterns for sixteen or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, you'd have double the content. But I still hate doing that, so <laughs> I don't do it anymore. It's way too much work. And my marketing has evolved, and it's way more involved now. Um, mm-hmm. And I make more than one sample. So this would be back when I was making only one sample of a quilt to promote it. Um, but Sienna Burst was what felt like my first truly super original star design And more difficult pattern, it was my first inner, not my first, actually my second intermediate quilt pattern because it has half rectangle triangles in it. And it's the one that I actually reached out to back when they were cotton and steel. I reached out to Melody Miller um, in email saying, hey, this is my design. Um, Sienna was the Alexia Marcella bag line that was going to be coming out It has like a very beautiful Southwestern tones and I'm from Arizona. And so I just felt really connected to the line. And then everything about Sienna burst was kind of like starburst and sunburst from the desert. And so I reached out and asking for fabric. That was the first time I'd ever asked for fabric for quote unquote free, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, they agreed as long as it was the cover quilt. Um, And so, like, that was the first time I feel like I partnered with a company in a strategic way. And at that time, you know, their reach really went far for me. Um, and it was, I think it was a pretty good release. Honestly, it's now, like, four years ago. So I feel like I'm blocking it out. Um, but that was definitely kind of the start of, like, okay, maybe I, like, they're actually giving me something for free. So maybe my name actually does mean a little something. And the fact they liked my design. Um, but then, so that was summer. And so that next winter is when I released, um, sidewalk chalk and city grid, which was the first time I had patterns in a lookbook for Robert Kaufman, um, oh, cool. using obviously Kona cotton. Mm-hmm. And that one really like exploded my release numbers where I was at. And I think started to legitimize me in the industry beyond just like a modern quilter who people found me on Instagram or randomly found me on the internet. Um, you know, cause shops, shops could see it. And then like being in a lookbook on Robert Kaufman's site is consumers could see it. And so that one definitely legitimized me, but then the, the one that obviously blew up, I'm guessing you might know which one that was, um, was Meadowland. <laughs> Ah, yeah, why? Like, what?
0: Do you have any idea why? Like, yeah. Exactly, and before that, before that, Robert Kaufman. Did you reach out to them, or did they reach out to you to be in the lookbook? Honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> okay, that's like it's me sitting here. I'm like, I've never done that. I should reach out to them. But I kind
1: of, honestly, I think maybe I did reach out to them being like hey I did it with cotton and steel I wonder if I do this with Robert Kaufman they'd send me the fabric then at that point that's when I started my relationship with um Elise who works with Robert Kaufman and she's the one now that I contact all the time and I work with my bundles with her and my different projects mm-hmm. um but that would have been 2018 so okay that was, like, three and a half years ago, so I, <laughs> I kind of just forget. But I know that it had to have been, like, I don't remember feeling, like, sought out. But, okay. yeah. It happened.
0: Yeah. And, oh, right. As I'm saying this, like, oh, I should do that. Tell me if, do you ever do that where you see someone else do something that worked well for them and you instantly go to, Oh, I should be doing that too. Even though logically you're like,
1: that might not be the best route for me, but do you instantly do that? I do it in the sense of like, I don't instantly think, Hey, I should do that. I think, could I do that? And I think more than anything, I don't instantly say like, that's for me or I should do that. But I'm, I get, I'm like, damn it. Why didn't I think of that? And I get I'm very competitive. It's like one of my negative qualities. (laughs) And um, so I get more like mad that I haven't thought of that. And then I start to think like, well, should I do that? But so much of how my business has been built has been not around what I want to do and how I want to do it, but what I can do with where I'm at in my life and with, you know, having a kid and not being a full, like, working full time or having childcare or whatever. So most of the time, you know, I'm like, I wish I didn't have, like, I wish my kid was in school full time. I wish he was 16 and not asking me for snacks every two minutes, you know, which maybe they still do when they're 16, but they do. Yeah. <laughs> eat you out of house. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
0: that's interesting. I mean, so I have a therapist and we meet regularly and I'll chat about, it's been really liberating to have her tell me like, do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. And do I, I let me think about that, you know? And I found in my business, when I try to do the things that other people are doing, it doesn't Mm -hmm. go well. And then when I step back and like, what do I really
1: want to do? It goes well, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know any truth to that. Yeah. I think it's hard. I think, for me, I get ideas in my head and I am the person who I get an idea and I don't stop until I've done it. And like everything, like I narrowly focus and I delete everything else out of my life, which is, I think, part of my success, but also is part of why I get burnt out or I do things without fully thinking through the big picture and then realizing, well, shit, I failed <laughs> at this because I didn't think it through. Um but it was like I started therapy a few months ago and my therapist in one of our sessions was like, okay, well, if you at, at that point in my life, like what would your day, like what would your day look like? Like if you're saying you're trying to do all these things, tell me what your day would look like. And so I kind of spilled off and she just goes, so everything you just said, does that sound sustainable? And I was like, not at all. <laughs> she was like, exactly you need to do less. And she was like, you need to be more gracious with yourself. You need to like really think, what do I need to do for me? And so I feel like that there's so much truth to like, is this really what I want? Is this what I assume I'm supposed to do? Or is this like you see someone else did it? So it's got to work. But I love the quote. I think it's Glennon Doyle, I want to say who was like, why are you asking people for advice who've never walked in your shoes? Like, you have your own path. I butchered that. But um, essentially, like, why are you asking for advice to go places people have never been? And I I love
0: that, yeah.
1: Okay. I need to constantly remind myself of these things.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I'm laughing inside. I'd be so curious to hear of other entrepreneurs, but like, you know, the phrase... um, aim and fire what is it ready aim fire Uh I'm like ready fire aim I jump and go and then I'm like did that work out oh I don't know you know so and again I I attribute that to my success but a lot of my life that's been like a downfall where it's like oh gosh so but you sound like it's the same way for you yeah
1: and I feel like that's kind of a you know a string that probably goes all the way through a lot of creative people is that's you you find fire when you find fire you freaking play in it. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, like, oh, I'm too close to the fire. I should probably be a little smarter and step back for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what makes us all unique and have, you know, all of our great moments. But very much, you probably all be a little smarter and more intentional. <laughs> yes. Okay. And then I have jumped ahead to a question that I want to go back to. Yeah.
0: Meadow- Meadowland. Mm-hmm. Wow. What? Like, was it the timing? <laughs> Is it? Because of the three colors, like what? Tell me. And who knows? Who knows? I mean,
1: it is by far the most bonker pattern I have. Like it is its own beast. I can't control it. I don't know why it's so addicting. I mean, I kind of understand. Tell me. I've rarely met anybody who's made one Meadowland. So they make multiple. Multiples, like constantly making them. I mean, I think I'd made 12 or something like some crazy number. So I think there was like a few things in play at the time. Um, Meadowland was the first time. Well, I had just made flying geese for the first time. So I was like pumped about flying geese because they always terrified me. And I was like, oh, these are really fun and cool. And, um, It was my first like really simplistic block pattern. The other one I had done before Meadowland, unless I'm forgetting one, was Sienna Burst, like very like classic traditional quilt block. And that one was not easy and very time intensive. And I was like, screw that. I want fun, easy. You see a lot of one print. So I think it's the fact that it's, you can show off large scale prints There is no sashing in this pattern. Some people are very anti-sashing. They are larger cuts of fabric, regardless of, you know, like being able to show off a large-scale print. Like the block is a 16-inch block, so it's a larger block. Um, It's mix and match. It is pre-cut friendly. It is scrap friendly. It is yardage friendly. I give like six sizes. Um, And I really think like I was just really freaking into it. And I marketed it like crazy. I think people really kind of started to understand a little bit of the chaos I bring to my work in the sense of like, I don't know if you remember this, but for this release, my husband and son had gone camping the week before. And or what, it was like part of the release, not the actual release again, but they had gone camping the week before and found all these like beautiful wildflowers um in the columbia gorge like at hour 15 20 outside of portland and we came home and at that point my son was like three or four and he was like dad mom would love this spot mom would love this spot and so when we got when he got home (laughs) that sunday night he was like megan this is gorgeous they're in bloom and i was like i just finished my meadowland i was like should we go for sunrise tomorrow and he's like, Megan, I work tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, but sunrise is at like 5.30. He's like, what are you talking about? And so I woke up my husband and my kid at 4 a.m. the next morning. We drove out, got coffee, took the most epic, beautiful photos of my first finished meadowland in just like these cliffs where you see the river and like just beautiful flowers. And got coffee on the way back. Got home at like 7 o'clock. My husband went to work that day. Like – Just everything about it was just the kind of this crazy, chaotic, beautiful experience. And I think people were instantly like, she's nuts, but I kind of like what she's doing. And I had a lot of great testers. And I think people just really enjoyed making it. And you really can't go wrong. Like you, any aesthetic has been made in this pattern, like, (laughs) esthetics I do not like have been made in this pattern I'm like oh my gosh that actually looks okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I do think it is, you know, partly my joy for it, people's love for it themselves and then it just be kind of came a complete beast on their own. People could teach classes. It was had traditional enough technique with flying geese but in a more modern way with larger scale not as like you know, nitty gritty with tiny piecing and all traditional piecing that I think it was able to bridge the modern and traditional world, which is, I think, where it also blew mm-hmm. up like crazy.
0: Yeah. So that surprised you. The success of that surprised you? <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, and the fact that I released it in May of 2018, and I didn't even do my first quilt along for it until an entire year later. And it just kept going. Like Meadowland was my top selling pattern in 2018, 2019,
0: and 2020. You're kidding. So far,
1: has it been this year too? No, it actually is fading this year, which I'm kind of like, yes, (laughs) because I hate Meadowland, but I'm like, there's more there, (laughs) y'all. I'll be
0: honest. I bought it at QuiltCon, what, last year before everything shut down? Simply out of curiosity. I was like, Uh Well, I'm intrigued. Yeah, let me buy that. And when I bought it, they're like, "Oh yeah, metal." Everyone buys this. I'm, like, why I'm it. Like, I- <laughs> everyone's bought it. I got to see what the heck this is about. The madness of crowds. The crowd I know. Crowds. <laughs> um. So, okay, one of the things that I admire most about you is how open you are, and you share like the ups and downs, your mental health. I mean, even the name yeah. of then came June ties to yeah. the birth of your son and all these changes in your life. Um. So can you share, and if you know, like the highest high that you've had with your business and one of the lowest lows, which might sound depressing, but for entrepreneurs, it's
1: nice to kind of hear, okay, I'm not alone in this, you know? Totally. So (laughs) I've asked my husband and Allison, who has been my assistant for a while, what my highest high was. And Allison's like, duh, hiring me. And I (laughs) laughed and I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I told my husband that and he's like, well, kind of. And then I thought about it more and I was like, honestly, no, I think that is my highest high I've had was I got my business to a point where I, first of all, one, recognized and needed help, two, was able to actually know I can pay someone, like I'm making enough money to pay someone for help. And three, that I just freaking lucked out so much (laughs) finding Allison, like truly a fluke, Um, Never met her before Um, and I joined the Portland Modern Quilt Guild a few years ago and I put out, I want to say like in the fall, this request on Instagram for local people. It was like, hey, I'm working on a stash I need someone to help me. Like can someone, anyone interested to come and like collect and curate fabric with me and then ship it out for me? Like I have so many other projects, but I'm exploding. And she responded on Instagram. She's like, I'll do it. And I was like, never met you, but can you come over tomorrow night? And just like truly instantly clicked. And she was so helpful. She's incredibly organized. She gets so giddy off of organization. <laughs> and be yeah. a uh, kindergarten teacher. So I think she like very much, she's like colored, colored labels and all this. Like she gets, she gets so pumped about it, which is such a blessing. And um, so she was just like so on top of it, you know. I let her log into my PayPal. I was like, you invoice all the people, um, helped me ship it all out, got it organized. And I thanked her, you know, and I paid her. Cause essentially I was like, I'll give you a chunk of whatever, um, we sell. And so that was in the fall. And then, you know, at that point I wasn't thinking about an assistant or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but then also that fall and winter I had, um, filmed my first class with, what was Craftsy and then Blueprint and now back to Craftsy. Mm -hmm. And so I had all these projects that were no longer under my deadlines, which was incredibly stressful for me. And um, so that spring I was talking to my husband and I was like, I really need help. Like I don't need full time. I can't provide full time, but I just need someone to help me. sew my samples, someone who can help me cut and iron fabric, who could fulfill distributor orders And he was like, Well, why don't you reach out to Allison? Like you guys worked really well in the fall. And I was like, I don't know. Like she's got two kids and she runs a charity and and he was like, Well, you never know until you ask. So I texted her at the blue and I was like, Hey, you want to go to breakfast tomorrow? And she was like, Yep. And so we went to breakfast and I was like, So do you want to work for me? And she was like, Yep. (laughs) And that was it. Like such an easy transition. And you know, it's pretty part time. Like I think in the heyday, like really busy weeks, it'd maybe be like fifteen hours a week. But most of the time, it'd be like eight to ten, like two, you know, four-hour mornings. But it like doubled my productivity because I was only working when my son was in school, and so to be able to tag team, where she would just bring her machine and we'd sit at my kitchen table, could both both bust out a bunch of blocks. Or if I need to do a lot of computer work, like I can give her the sewing work, um, and it just really made me a lot more efficient um, and how I work. And then, you know, with COVID it's just been really in and out, but she's still with me. And I now have a second, very part-time assistant who helps me with like other computer things. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to have Allison come back and help me with all that stuff behind me, my fabric cabinet and sewing. And luckily during COVID, she, you know, was able to still do a ton from her house, like a drop-off sample work and she wouldn't help me. sew. just, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, I heard someone, and I'm curious, and maybe this gets into like weird talking about number territory, but I heard a guy who works with a bunch of different companies say generally people like when you first start out and people who are listening to this podcast who are new time entrepreneurs, it gets really intimidating at first to be like, hire an assistant. I can't afford that. Like I'm doing this, I'm trying to earn money, like I don't have that luxury. But there does get to a point to where you're earning enough, hopefully, and you're busy enough that you, you're capped out unless you hire someone. Absolutely. And so this guy that I heard who works with a bunch of different entrepreneurs, he was like, usually that caps around 40000 per year for income. Mm-hmm. Break into the next category to get into over 40000 a year is higher on somebody. And so I don't know, I haven't seen all the studies he's worked with enough people, but I'm like, that's interesting. So the goal, I guess for a beginning entrepreneur, when you get to that $40,000 point where that's how much you're earning per year, then that might be a time to think about, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, for me, it was never, um, like, Hey, I've hit this threshold. So now I feel like I can afford it. It was more because everything I made for those first, honestly, till this year, (laughs) everything I've been making has had a very specific purpose for our family. It has, you know, first of all, it was just covering the cost of my hobby. And then it was helping us pay down all of our commercial debt we had. Then it was, you know, saving for a true emergency savings. Like if I lost my job, Luke lost his job. Then it was saving to buy the house we're currently in. And so it is for sure profit, but it wasn't just so I could be like, well, now I'm going to go spend all this money on dresses and clothes. And like, yes, our lifestyle has increased with the fact that we now make, you know, double income. Um, but I will say that I think I just realized at that point, like Allison needed it just as much as I did. She needed that thing to get her out of the house to remind her she is more than a mother and a wife and running a charity and doing all the fun things and PTA. like She's like, I like sewing. I like chatting with my friend for hours a day. Um, and so I think it was just the perfect combination of her needing it for reasons beyond just the money, too. Um, yeah. And for the numbers, the only reason I say that is because at that point, I probably was making, I think in 2018, I brought in $90,000 of um mm-hmm income. And so it wasn't even until after that, that I hired her to help me. Um, So, so it was more than that. So you were definitely at that point
0: where, well, and I don't know for you, for me, it's scary. Anytime I invest in something, whether it's hiring someone, a course, whatever it might be, right. I always have this fear of like, well, but I should save that money. I'm better off if I save it. And it's almost like this leap of faith. Like, okay, just trust that if I hire someone, I can make up that revenue
1: elsewhere. Right. I think, well, so I think now that you've said that, I think the reason I felt I couldn't or didn't equate it to being able to hire was because I wanted, we wanted so bad to be out of debt and we had significant debt. So in my mind, it was like, if I'm hiring someone to help me, that means we're not paying down debt. Mm -hmm. mine was like a very linear what I'm making is getting us out of a hole you know and so I think the fact that I think the first photo shoot Allison came to with me I announced we were out of debt and I remember that's probably where the freedom came from was like well yes like now what I'm saving for is for funsies (laughs) or this or that and so I, I like now that you say that it's like a light bulb like the reason I don't think I ever even considered it is because Every cent I made that wasn't expenses or cost went to paying down debt.
0: So I'm curious like for someone who's in that scenario, if you looking back hindsight's 2020, right. If you had hired someone sooner, do you think you would have earned more sooner?
1: You know, maybe when you do the hindsight 2020 of that, but also I don't feel like I really f- knew my aesthetic until I had Allison. Until I had the freedom to give away the businessy things like, you know, when I would get it, when it used to be like, okay, I'm type typing, working, I'm sewing, oh my gosh, I just got a distribute order. So I stop exactly what, like I stop the creative process to now take care of this. Or I get a customer email and someone's mad because they can't download the pattern. Mm-hmm. I stop what I'm doing and I do customer service. Where I was able to have the freedom with Allison to say like, that's not for me. That's why I have Allison. So I can I can put that on the back burner and I can still focus on the creative. So I think the fact that I hired Allison, you know, freed up so much creative motivation in me that I was able to focus more and more like what do what do I like? What feels good? What does then came June stand for? What does my aesthetic feel like? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I just think I was so narrowly focused on getting out of the debt. And, you know, and then the number 90 is gross. That is not saying that's profit. Like that's before any of my expenses or any of that. But I mean, I obviously I could have quote unquote afforded to hire her. It just would have slowed down our being able to pay off debt.
0: Yep. Okay. And I'm really curious about your aesthetic. It's like this double-edged sword. So I feel like for someone to be successful as a quilt pattern designer, they need to have their, a unique look, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And unique, I just mean like that they have a look, Right. but I also feel like it takes time to get there. You know, like yeah. you have to dabble and try and have a few flops. Have you had patterns that have flopped, by the way? I'm
1: so intrigued. For sure. Yeah. Okay that makes you feel better. Yes. No, totally. And it's funny because when I, when I look back at the majority of the ones that haven't done well, you know, I'm always like, why, what happened? Like, is it out of my control? Is it actually the pattern is not good enough? Quote unquote. Um, And typically it's like 50, 50. It's probably environmentally, whatever is happening in the world, timing for the year, stuff like that. Or it was like, I obviously just try to push that one out too quickly. Like I did not give it the normal presence of mind that I would. Um, not to say I'm always like, it's all my fault, but obviously I, it's also my fault. <laughs> you know, that it's my business. It's what I'm doing. Um, but I do think aesthetic takes a while for sure to find your voice. And specifically when you start quilting, unless you already are a super confident, creative person, you're going to be mimicking others, you're going to mimic what you see, that's how you learn. And so I think it took me a while to stop working according to how others work and to really do what I wanted to do, and then hope it stuck, you know. And I think that that just takes time to get to. And then you know, of course, like it's like for me too, it's a giant weight was lifted by paying off debt for our family and this giant burden. So, I felt like, whew, okay, now what could I do? Like if I don't have to make this money, if this money's truly extra now, yeah, I give mm-hmm. myself more freedom.
0: You know. Okay, so Megan, this has been awesome. I absolutely love what we've talked about. And I actually legitimately would love to chat for like another hour with you. So we'll have to see this part two if you're up for that ever. But I did want to end with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? If you're rapid fire, I usually give feedback. I'm going to try to just be honest rapid fire here. Okay. okay. All right. What is your favorite pattern that you've designed? Uh, campfire Glow.
1: Okay. Campfire Glow. <laughs> what book everyone should read? um I loved Untamed by Glennon Doyle love
0: it yep okay speaking of books do you think you'll ever write one like a quilt book
1: I have been asked multiple times and it has never made sense for me or my business so no
0: okay but if you do we won't hold you to that just
1: (laughs) favorite beverage which are what are you drinking now I'm drinking yeah I'm drinking it's just it's like a mocktail it's Sparkling Spindrift with ginger beer and lime. Ooh, Spindrift, by the way, big fan. Oh yeah. Oh, have you had their limeade color or color? (laughs) Oh, lemon limeade. So it's a mix of lemon and lime. It's so Mm -hmm. good.
0: Okay, and ginger beer too.
1: Okay. (laughs) Are you a morning person or night owl? Morning, morning, morning. I
0: hate morning. And best attribute about yourself?
1: Um, I am authentic
0: yes yes you are and I like that about you <laughs> and for people who are looking for you where can our
1: listeners find you um, on Instagram it's then came June my website is then came my Facebook is the same my Pinterest is Megan R. Buchanan it's okay. my actual name
0: <laughs> okay very cool well thank you so much for being here this has been awesome
1: thanks for having me
0: Megan, thank you so much for being a guest on the Craft a Career podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And next week, I'm really excited to share that our guest will be Sarah Ruiz. She is a NASA engineer by day and a quilterpreneur by night. And I wanted to invite someone on the show who has a full-time career as something else and then has this creative business on the side and just to get that perspective of how how they juggle it, what's that like for them, because I know a lot of you out there have this creative passion, but you also have a full-time job. And Sarah is completely awesome. You'll learn next week how our paths have crossed and what she helps me with, in fact. And if you are enjoying the podcast, you can share it with a friend by either sending a link to them, or you can take a screenshot and share what you're listening to, whether it's this week's episode with End Came June or one of the past episodes. It's fun for me to see when people share about the podcast on social media. I like to reshare it when I see that. So feel free to tag me in it. And I'm just really glad to know that this podcast is resonating with the listeners. So thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next week.